Hi guys, this is Laura, and welcome back to Let's Chat Healthcare. Hi Natalie, thanks for coming on Let's Chat Healthcare. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you, especially because you just released a book about your experience in healthcare, and it's called yes. NICU Mom, You Make Me Brave, right? Yes, I actually have it right here. I have like oh, a sample right awesome. here. Just in case. Yes, and I'll yes, also I have a link it. to it in the bio too, but oh, okay. it's at Thank Barnes you. and Thank Noble you. and it's also on Amazon, right? Yes, thank yes. I should have bought it from Amazon, but I was like, oh, I'm going to try to not buy something from Amazon for once. And I right. bought it from Barnes and Noble. And then like the shipping got like mixed up. But I was like, dang. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, as long I, as you purchase it, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, there's two quotes from it. I do want to read though, if you don't mind, just yeah, to kind of course. get us started. Okay. Um, there's one that you had posted on your Instagram, but there's also another one from the first couple pages. And I think it's like a really good introduction into like your story. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so this is the first one. It goes, I thought, why him? Why, what did he do to deserve this? The world was supposed to be a beautiful and happy place for him. And now it seemed like he had entered a world of pain. And the second one goes, Everyone kept saying to rest so I could heal, but I thought, how can you rest when your son is nowhere near you, when there are no answers, when you are meant to be protective and be there for your child and you can't? And I thought that was just like a really beautifully worded way to express how someone might feel if they're going through something that you did. So, right, yeah, right, can you right, talk right. to us a little bit about your experience and especially your experience in the NICU? Yeah, so uh, my son was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder uh, called Jobert syndrome. And we were in the NICU for three months. Um, yeah. And it was just like a whirlwind uh, yeah. because coming out of uh, labor, uh, we didn't know he had the syndrome. Uh, mm. We just thought he was going to stay there a day, but it turned out he wasn't breathing on his own and we had no idea why. Uh, so after going over uh, with specialists, they kind of told us we think he has a genetic disorder. We found out what it was. And, and yes, this genetic disorder uh, led to respiratory issues, mm. uh, which um, kind of made us had or I don't want to say forced, but yes, he had to get the trach in order to live because the oxygen that they're providing for him was not uh, sufficient enough. Because he was intubated uh, almost like immediately, right? It was it the correct. second time you saw him, he was already intubated? Like yes. with a brief so, tube? Yes. So, um, you know, after labor, because I had a C-section, I was uh, sent to the recovery uh, unit and... Um, Noah's, that's my son's name, Noah, <laughs> Noah's dad at the time, uh, went over there and was kind of dealing with everything that was going on. So I wasn't there firsthand to see and talk to the doctors to figure so out. Hard. Yeah, it was because when I finally entered the NICU, um, it was kind of like, what's going on? I, I walked into my son turning purple 
and um, you know, seeing all these nurses and respiratory therapists rush in and bagging him and so forth. And I'm just like, well, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Like, I, I'm just thinking my son's here for observation. Yeah, <laughs> so seeing yeah. this and then finally, yeah. <laughs> and finally them telling me like, uh, you know, Noah's not breathing on his own. We don't know why he keeps having these saturations. Um, we're trying to figure it out. Um, but he needs to stay here for at least two weeks to observe him. And, and then I guess that's when reality hit of what, yeah. you know, what was taking place. Um, so, yeah, we were there for three months and it was a lot of uh, ups and downs because of, you know, having to adjust to being a special needs mom, um, as well as the trach and YouTube in general. It was just a lot to take in, especially not knowing that this was what my son was going to have mm-hmm. or or mm-hmm. or be with at the time. I just thought, you know, one day in the NICU and we we're going to go home and everything was going to be fine. So, so uh, real quick, is it OK? I yeah. just wanted to read the um, NIH definition of Joubert syndrome. Is that uh, how do you say yeah. it? is it Joubert? Uh, I say Joe Bear. A lot of okay. people say it because it's a French. Uh, yeah, I was like, term. it looks French, so I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, so I just say Joe Bear, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a rare genetic condition characterized by abnormal brain development that includes the absence or underdevelopment of the cerebellar vermis and a malformed brain stem. So. I remember, like, I in the first couple of pages of the book, you knew that he had extra fluid in yes. in his um, like head, right? So, but you yes. didn't know about the condition. No. So, um, in the, I think it was the three month or four month when you get the anatomy scan, uh, they told me yeah. he had fluid in his brain, which is also mm-hmm. known as Dandy Walker syndrome. Um, so they believed he just had Dandy Walker. So they said immediately when uh, he was when he would be born, um, they would have to do an MRI to see if the fluid was still there, and and then from there they're going to determine whether they should remove the fluid and put a shunt or if the fluid had just kind of gone away on its own. Um, so they were already kind of diagnosing him with Dandy Walker, but mm. um, once he came out and they saw he wasn't breathing. Um, they said, okay, well, this is not Dandy Walker. It's something else because a Dandy Walker doesn't have um, severe respiratory issues as Noah oh, was it having. Issues. He, no, so um, that's when they did the MRI and they found out the fluid was gone, which we were happy because we knew he was going to get a shunt. But then now we were faced with another problem of why isn't mm-hmm. he breathing on his own and why isn't the oxygen enough? For him because mm-hmm. um they were putting him i remember uh i think like four liters at the time i want to say and, and that he was still um desaturating so oh, wow. they ended up yeah they ended up putting a hospital ventilator on him to kind of push the air in because they thought maybe mm-hmm. he's not taking enough in and still he was uh having desaturations while he slept can you talk so, a little bit more about like what that experience was like for you? Because in the book you talk about um, you had to heal yourself and then right. you wanted to be there for Noah because you had a C-section and you just had a baby right. taken out of you. And that must yes. have been really difficult. Uh, yeah, I, you know, going through that, I think the, that was probably the most painful thing I've, I've experienced. 
Um, and it was one of those because of the fact that, uh, you know, like the quote you read, it's like, you want to be there for your child. You don't want to mm-hmm. leave them by the bedside, you know, wondering where mom is, <laughs> you know, even though they're probably not, but that's, those are the things that are going through your head. Like, you know, are they thinking where's mom? And then you're here, you know, you're having to get better. And it's just kind of having, I guess I was, I would say I was putting myself on the back burner because I was like, no, I just have to be there for my son. I don't want to leave him alone. He's around all these nurses, you know, doctors. He doesn't know. So I would beg with Noah's dad, like, please just be there with him. So that way, at least one of us is there. And luckily, um, he, he was there, you know, with him by his side. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. But just being a mom and and, you know, once you have kids, you're a nurturer, you know, you, you're, you naturally <laughs> want to nurture and care for your child and hold them and tell them everything is going to be okay. And, you know, once having them, and I wasn't able to do that, I felt I was already failing as a mom, just to mm. be there for him to tell him, he's okay, everything um, is going to be all right. And one of the things that kind of um, really wrecked me is because uh, the next day, when I was finally able to walk um, to go see him, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, hold him and tell him, you know, mom's here. And once he heard my voice, he started screaming. And oh. I was, I, yeah, I just kind of broke down like, like oh my God. Yes. And I was like, what did I do? What did I do? I kept telling the nurse and the nurse is just like, he wants his mom. And it just killed me. Like, I'm just like, I can't get him out. Cause at this point he's intubated. You know, we're putting mm-hmm. our hands through the through the pod and I'm just it just broke me because I'm just like, this is what I didn't mm-hmm. want. I didn't want him crying out for his mom and I can't even touch him and you know, all these things. And you know, that night I had to go back to the room, to the recovery room, and I just kind of broke and, you know, kind of prayed and said, you know what, Lord, like please help me because you know, I'm trying to be strong for him, kill myself, and then I'm in a situation where I have, you know, no idea what what is going on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's hard being in the NICU, especially yeah. first time mom and not knowing um, what the outcome is going to be or, or even how long mm-hmm. you're going to be there. Um, because, you know, they didn't want to give me a time frame, which I understood why, because they, I mean, they didn't even know what was happening either. Um, but just yeah. not knowing when you're going to go home, I think that's the hard part. Mm. And your one day ended up three months. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about what those months were like for you and what are some things that you felt like helped you through that and what were some of the difficult things of maybe like interacting with the NICU staff or just like because was it was it before COVID or was it during COVID it was before COVID right before COVID Okay, okay yeah so um Honestly, the things that helped me in the NICU were some of the staff um, at that time. You know, I had no idea what was going on or Mm -hmm. I just didn't know who to turn to. Um, And some of the nurses there were amazing. They were kind of just, you could tell they were there for, you know, they had a caring heart. They were just um, kind of, you know, guiding me through it. I mean, I've there's some nurses that still will forever remain in my heart till this day because (laughs) they were kind of holding my hand, guiding me through it. Like, this is what you have to do. Like, it's going to be okay. Um, 
just giving me information. Like I remember this one nurse who I always view her as an angel because she was never Noah's nurse. She would just come in and check on us. And I, I never knew why. Yeah, I never knew why. I never talked to this person. She would just come in and say, how's Noah? How's Noah? He's good. Oh, okay. And, you know, during the time we were there for Halloween and, and she was all like, hey, like, does Noah have a costume? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, bring it. We're going to do Halloween pictures. And I'm just like, okay. Like, she just made our Halloween <laughs> And she oh. kind of dressed up his little crib and came with her own Polaroid camera and took pictures and and gave it to me and signed his first Halloween. And that, like, just, you know, that made me cry because I'm just like, you know, she was never his nurse. So why it was placed on her heart to come and check on him, I don't know. But I'm grateful for her. And uh, luckily at the time, the charge nurse, um, she was uh, there when they actually willed him from uh, from. Uh, when I had labor, uh, they willed him and she was there firsthand, uh, getting mm -hmm. him ready for the NICU. So she always followed him as well. And she was constantly just telling me, um, giving me advice, like uh, what I should do in regards to taking care of myself, how it is to live. You know, she kind of told me, because I was oblivious to trachs. Uh, she just said, like, let's go. Um, no, she just gave me advice in the sense of, She's like, go on Facebook, find a trach mom group. And that's what I did. Aww. And I found all these trach mom groups and I entered them and I started seeing like, okay, what a trach is. Okay. Seeing a lot of the questions and the comments. And I'm like, okay, like this is something that I can handle, especially because at the time I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so I would say, that, you know, the things that helped me out the most was some of those staff. And I feel like if they weren't there, I, I don't know <laughs> what I would have done because they, even as a first time mom showed me how to do the little things. I had no idea uh, mm -hmm. how to feed him, how to change him. You know, they were kind of guiding me like, okay, this is what we have to do. And, and um, as well as there was a lot of um, prayer groups that would go and go mm. pray for the families in there. So they would stop by the crib and ask if you want a prayer. And I would say, yes. So they would come talk to me, pray over Noah. So that that was also like very helpful as well. Um, but I would- Just having that foremost, support because it sounds, yes. like, it sounds like even the just this initial thing that I'm hearing, it's like so much information because you're a new right. mom because you have to learn like how to swaddle and how to feed, but also exactly, all these exactly. other things and everyone giving you advice. It must've been overwhelming how much information right. you were getting. Yes. But yeah. I, I would say the staff had helped me a lot. That's awesome. I'm really glad that you had that experience. <laughs> um, what, what, what were the harder parts about being in there besides like all the information? Right. What would you say? Were it, the um it was grieving the fact that I wasn't going to have my son the way I thought he was going to be I don't want to say normal but I would say mm -hmm. um I wasn't expecting this I just you know I, mm -hmm. I you know having to come home and out of that and realize this is your new life now mm -hmm. um that was the hardest part of you know how learning not only like you said a first-time mom but learning how to take care of a trach learning mm -hmm. how to care take care of a g2 uh learning his prognosis of what i have to deal with with this syndrome um 
and it's hard to wrap your head around what's going to happen, especially because when I kept asking him and, you know, because the syndrome is so rare, um, there's no answers for me. So it's like, is my son going to beat the trach? Is he going to beat the G-tube? Is he going to be able to walk one day? It's like, we don't know. That's all I kept hearing. So it was just, Mm -hmm. those are the harder parts of how do I beat this? How do I come up with a plan and try to live my new normal life? Because that's what was Mm -hmm. happening. This was going to be my new normal. And I didn't know how to kind of comprehend that. And then of course, grieve, grieve what, I thought what it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, it it was just hard. And then not only that, but uh, living there, um, you know, where I was at, the the hospital was an hour away from my home. So I had to, yeah, I had to uh, apply for the Ronald McDonald House and live there for three months. So I wasn't even living in my home. It was, you know, I'm thankful for them. Uh, but it was just hard. It was like a whole yeah. new life changer. Like I was now living at the Ronald McDonald house, waking up every morning, uh, taking a shuttle to go see him, taking a shuttle back. And that was my life for three months. And it's like, wow. I was in a different city, uh, just trying to, you know, make the best out of life, even though I felt like my world was like just crumbling. And it was during the holidays too. <laughs> So, yeah, so we spent Thanksgiving in there, Halloween, luckily, we got to go home right before Christmas. Um, But that was another hard part, too. It was just, you know, especially during November, um, you know, everyone's happy about the holidays, you're, you know, the the whole city's festive, and you're just there, like, whoa, (laughs) you know, you're trying not to be gloom and doom, but you're just like, whoa, what is what's happening right now? Like, I want to be happy. I have my son the first time for the holidays, but here we are in the hospital and I don't know when I'm leaving. I can't imagine too, like you said, going through all that and not having like the safety of just being able to go back to your own bed in right. like right. the house that you know, that must've been really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what advice, this is kind of a big question. What advice do you have <laughs> for moms who might go through something similar um, like, what it is there something that you wish someone would have told you? Um, I wish someone would have told me um, that there's, I guess right off the bat, that there's other moms out there going through this, mm-hmm. that you're not alone, you're not the only one, that even though you may be in the NICU facing this as the only one, but there's other moms around the world that are going through exactly what you're going through. And um just it seems like if there's they're... you know other moms are going through it, it seems like, okay, I can do this if other people can right. do this. Does it kind of give you that feeling? Uh, yeah, and it kind of gives you hope and faith mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that, like you said, if they're doing it, I, you know, I, I, I could do this. or mm-hmm. And then uh, getting a better understanding because, you know, one of the hardest parts about about that is I was talking to close friends and close friends family members but I felt like they didn't understand because they never mm-hmm. went through it so it's like when they would tell me I would understand you know I would try to be like thankful that they were saying that but I was like you, you know you kind of really don't understand yeah, but yeah. once you talk to like a, a NICU mom and you hear everything you're just like oh my god like they're going through what I'm going through and mm-hmm. and you know you start 
not to feel bad because some of those emotions you start feeling guilty for feeling mm. those emotions and you start thinking you know i'm wrong for this but then once if once you hear other moms saying the exact same thing you kind of think like okay well this is part of the process of of feeling whatever it is that you're going through but i i would definitely tell them to to join support groups um to really come up with a plan of their own uh because you know and i and i don't blame the hospital for this but um they gave me the more uh unrealistic side i would say Mm -hmm. like (laughs) i was so um preparing by what they told me and what they told me is like oh you know your son can't wear shirts because of the trach so I was like on v-neck shirt mode you know (laughs) trying to get him prepared (laughs) where he he can wear a shirt it's just you know you have to be careful but it's like at that time not knowing I was just like oh I have to make sure he has this I have to get him like Mm -hmm. uh g-tube coverings I need to do this and and then when once you come home you realize it's not it's not it's that kind of like expectations versus <laughs> <Right>. reality. <laughs> yes, it's kind of like no, it, it's not like that at all. I know at the hospital mm. it, it may be like that because of course of yeah. the, keeping everything sanitary and so forth, and yeah. I, and I understand that. Um, but I just came with that same hospital mentality, so it was like I had I was cleaning every day, making sure everything was wiped down, perfect, nothing hit the floor. You know, changing his shirt if anything, and it's like realistically. You're in your and you're home. like, I'm human, you know? I'm gonna drop. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You start realizing, like, okay, he didn't get a bacterial infection, he's fine. Where mm-hmm. that's kind of implemented in the hospital, which I totally get because of the environment, but um I I would want them to know that it's not that serious, that you still mm-hmm. get to live that normal life with your child. Buy them the shirt that they want, you know, keep your house how you want it. There's no reason to change anything. It's just a new difference, but you know, um, mm-hmm. everything is pretty much the same and it's not as drastic as it's, as it's you know, made out to be or kind of told to us um, mm. that they can live a normal life. You can't take them mm-hmm. places. You can take them out. You know, um, it, it's, it's a normal child. You just have to adjust to, you know, uh, their the medical new, needs. What, what is yeah. your normal going to be? <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. It sounds like when he got his trach, that was a really big moment. Can you, do you remember that conversation when you learned about when they told you he was going to have a trach? Can you talk to us? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, at the time, he, they you kept were still telling, in the NICU, right? Yes, I was still in the NICU and okay. he's about two weeks old. And okay. they keep telling me, okay, we, yeah, they kept telling me, we don't know what to do. He keeps you know, desaturating, um, we're going to sit down and have a meeting with the specialist as well as you to go over um, our options. So mm-hmm. I remember um, a week, no, probably like three days later, we, we had that meeting and I was in a room full of specialists and I'm just, you know, hoping for the best outcome. And they kind of just told me, uh, we think he needs to have a trach place because there's two form of apneas, which is the obstructive apnea or a, or sleep apnea, um, and we really we have to find out, you know. Well, prior to this, he had a sleep study, so mm. after the sleep study is when they sat down and had the meeting, and uh, they learned that he had sleep apnea. 
Um, so that's when they told me it, he has to have a trach. And at first, I, I mean, I immediately started crying because, you know, prior to then I researched and I just saw, you know, this hole in a baby's neck. And I'm thinking, I don't want yeah. that for my my child. Mm. Like there has to be another way. You know, I, I you know, I hate to say this, but it's like I, I prayed and pleaded with God, like, you know, what what can we do? Like, I need that miracle. I need, you know, I, I don't mm. want that for my son. Um, but uh, eventually what ended up happening is they told me, I, they believe this is the route that they have to go. And I told them, okay, well, how long can we wait until we see if he breathes on his own? And they told me they'll give him two weeks. Mm. So in those two weeks, it was kind of like, uh, I, it was a lot because every day I was like, okay, hopefully this is the day he breeds on his own. And it's like every day I will walk into the hospital and kind of get a rundown from the nurses and the nurses is like, he had eight desaturations today. I'm just like, okay, maybe mm. tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. So when the two weeks came and, and those desaturations weren't going away, I, I, I knew, you know, this, this was the only option, but, you know, at the time, not knowing what I know now, that was the best option for him because um, prior to getting the trach, he was really sucked up skinny. Uh, he was mm. losing so many calories because he was just all that trying to breathe and panting so fast on his own. Um, he dropped a lot of weight. So he kind of mm. looked sickly. And right when he got the trach, it was like a brand new kid. It was like just thriving. And, and you know, if I could go back, then I would have told them, give it to him, right? You know, I would want the trach now instead of waiting. Um, mm. But I think I was just so scared and reluctant because I was afraid of the Understandably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But honestly, like, that was the best option for him. And even seeing him now to this day, like, you know, without that trach, I, I don't think he would have made it, you know? So I'm, mm. I'm glad that, that he was able to get that. And it was hard to go through, but... Um, you know, it was the best thing for him. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's, that, that's like such a big thing to just even just know and have on your plate and be like, if I could go back, I would do something different. Right. But also like mm -hmm. thinking about yourself in that situation, you were just trying to do what was best. And that's right. Right. That we can ask. Yeah. So was that his road to recovery to being able to go home? Like when yes. did he go home soon after that? Okay. Uh, they kind of gave us guidelines. They told us that um, after the trach, um, he would have to gain a certain amount of weight to be uh, mm -hmm. moved to the PICU. And mm -hmm. so from there, he was uh, eight pounds and they needed him to gain um uh, I'm sorry, he was seven. Yeah, he was eight pounds and they needed him to gain nine to go to the mm. PICU. So after that, we had to wait till he gained weight, uh, which was like another two weeks. And then, mm. um, yeah, and then right when we uh, took him up to the PICU, uh, because we had to trans, they wanted him to be transferred to his home ventilator. So he, you know, we had an idea of how he would do on the home vents instead of the hospital mm -hmm. ventilator. Uh, that took like another month 
um, oh because uh, yeah, because on the home ventilator, they said the minimum weight requirement is 10 pounds. So he needed to gain oh. another pound just to be on the home ventilator. And then from the home ventilator, once he got on it, now they needed to observe him to see if he was adjusting to it or if he was still mm, having desaturations or any episodes. Um, and there was so, so yeah, much also that you had to learn, like how to care for him, right? Like you were talking about how to how to hand, like how what to do with a trach. Like there was probably yes. so much for you to learn. Yeah, they kind of gave us this packet, and they're just like, read it. And I'm looking at all this stuff, like suctioning <laughs> trach care kits, and I'm like, what is any of this stuff? And yeah. I still remember, and and you know. Um, yeah, part of it's in the book is when they first showed me how to do his trait care, you know, I sat there and cried. <laughs> I was like crying in the corner saying, I can't do this. I, I, I can't do it. I can't hurt him. And, you know, and a nurse kind of sat me down and said, like, you know, breathe. It's OK, but this is going to be part of the process. Like, we'll teach you. And yeah, that, you know, in the time that we're waiting for him to gain uh, that weight, um, we had pretty much training where respiratory therapists and nurses uh, will come and they would kind of watch us and guide us through doing the trach care and replacing the trach and suctioning him. Um, the, you know, I was happy because they, they pretty much kind of right in the PICU was like, okay, you're, you're doing everything. We're just watching and observing. And I, yeah, and I really like that because it gave us a sense of like, okay, now we have to do this. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so throughout that time, it's like every week we were learning different things like the trait care and changing the gauze and cleaning the G-tube and, mm -hmm. and suctioning and, and uh, just changing the trait. So it was a process and it was a lot, but um, luckily we had that time during his weight gain of, of learning. And of course, you know, that was one of the hospital's policies at the time that we had to know and have all those boxes checked off before going home. And they mm -hmm. even we even had to learn about the ventilator. They had a respiratory uh, therapist come and teach us all the settings on the vents, what we have to look for. And wow. yeah, it was a lot. I, I, you know, you talking about this makes me think about, um, so I used to be an adult emergency room nurse, but then I switched mm -hmm. to doing kids. And right. um, I remember the people that taught me the most on how to do this stuff were the moms. Like right. when the moms would come in, they would be like, yeah. no, you have to do it like this. So um, you guys, you guys are professionals even more than the professionals. So yeah, um, that's what the doctors would always say, um, you know, like just, because <laughs> I guess we get to know our kids and how mm -hmm. they like things. So we're like, oh, yeah, do it this way. And yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And, um, you know, that was the one thing that, that I'm grateful for is that, you know, the hospital and the, the staff did, were able to help us to get to a point where, where now we could feel we could do it on our own. And, um, a lot of even today, you know, going to hospitals, um, they kind of give us the leeway and ask us, like, what does your mm -hmm. child prefer now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, <laughs> I totally agree with you. Like, we kind of learn our own groove of things. Mm -hmm. And every kid is different. So everyone has. Their right. Own yeah. Can you can you talk about um, the day you went home, what that day was like and kind of like how you were feeling? 
Uh, <laughs> that one, that one's kind of um, a sad and funny story because they gave us a date <laughs> of, I believe it was the 16th. So that, uh, that, that day I came in, I had packed his outfit. Um, I was still, I had that day I packed up everything from the Ronald McDonald house and let them know I was checking out. Um, mm -hmm. and at the time, because we were so far away, they wanted to transport him via ambulance. Mm -hmm. Um, so when we got to the hospital, I changed him. I was so happy. I had, you know, all his toys and everything with me and like, okay, we're going home. And then, uh, the nurse kind of, you know, comes in and it's like, Hey, I hate to break it to you, but, uh, Noah has a big granuloma by his stoma. Oh, gosh. Um, yes. <laughs> And they're like, and we don't feel comfortable sending them home, um, but we want to uh, get the ENT to clear you, him before he goes. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, okay, well, you know, where's the ENT? Oh, she's Hopefully in surgery. Hopefully can do that today. <laughs> right. And it didn't happen. Uh, the ENT <sighs> ended up in a surgery, uh, didn't get out till five. By then, discharge was too late. So they told me, unfortunately, we cannot discharge you guys. I'll have to discharge you tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning. Doctor will be here. So I was like, I was in shambles. I was just kind of sitting there, like, mm -hmm. okay, what do I do now? I have to, you know, stay another night. But I was like, okay, you know, I just kind of prayed to God and say, you know, God, it's your timing for whatever reason <laughs> you want us to go home tomorrow. That is absolutely fine. So I just kind of like, uh, sat there. I didn't really sleep. And then the next day, the next morning, the 17th, um, the doctor did come, uh, eight o'clock in the morning and cleared him, said it was fine. I was just going to, uh, prescribe him steroids just to, you know, uh, shrink it. And then, yeah, then luckily uh, the paramedics came right right away. Um, the respiratory therapist um, that was going to follow us home as well to set up all the machines. So that day, honestly, was like um, that light at the end of the tunnel that I was waiting yeah. for. It was like, okay, I'm finally here. And I was just grateful and, and thankful and on, honestly just crying in, in awe of God because I remember living through the NICU saying, I'm never going to get out of here. You know, this is mm. going to be this dark hole that I don't know when. And, you know, to know that it was finally happening, I just kind of, you know, thank God and cried. And, you know, um, we made it home. And right when we entered the house, it was like, a you know, a brand new chapter to our new lives. So. Mm. That was an experience. That's awesome. That's so beautiful. <laughs> were you nervous at all that first day home? Or were you like, I've been in the hospital for like th over three months. I'm ready. <laughs> Honestly, it was nerve wracking because now you realize you're the front line. You, there's and no you're doctor. Like one person doing <laughs> right. people's job. There's like 10 right. people doing it in the hospital. And now you're just you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was it was hard because I wasn't yeah. expecting that. I was expecting, okay, you know, we're just home and and no, like um, it was a lot because, like I said, like we were the front line. We were gonna have to do everything on our own. Uh, we yeah. have to make the judgment whether he needs to be sectioned or not, or if there's, you know, and and one of the things that the doctor told us is because we live in in uh, Lancaster. It's a lot colder and drier out here. They were saying, like, please look out for his secretions. Um, mm. And, you know, and then that week, Noah ends up getting, like, two mucus plugs. 
So, oh my so it was just like, like crazy rolling, but, um, yeah, I, hopefully I'll write a second book about, you know, how, it, <laughs> what it's like when you get home. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's before, but now here's right. after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, how old is Noah now? How old is he? He is about to be four. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, he's thriving. He's, yeah. uh, you know, he's a hundred percent off the ventilator right now. He's just on oxygen. Wow. Yeah. Through his trach. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just been a lot of like, uh, uh big developments with him. Um, he started school recently, so he's just doing his thing now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, that's so awesome. I would, I would love to end with maybe some assumptions that people might make about, um, Noah that you don't always feel like are accurate. I don't know if you have any, but maybe something. Um, I would say like some of the things that people think are, um, that he is mentally, um, I don't want, I don't know if that's the correct term, but like mentally disabled, yeah. like he's not really okay. there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, and um, it's kind of just like a body. Yeah. With no like personality. Yeah. Right. Like he's okay. kind of, I don't want to say that, but I have gotten some mm-hmm. like, uh, like, well, does, well, what can he do? And it's one of those like, no, it's fully there cognitively. Yeah. It's just his mm-hmm. muscles and his body because he because uh, Joe Bear comes with hypotonia mm-hmm. and um, a lot of them can't walk or mm-hmm. uh, can't stand, can't sit. And that's where Noah's at right now. Um, right now we're working on sitting, standing and just the basic, uh, you know, grasping and so forth. And people see that and think, well, he's not fully there. But in reality, like Noah's fully there. He's functioning uh, mentally wise, like a three-year-old, uh, he's, mm. his body is just playing catch up at this moment. Um, so yeah, so the, and that's one of them. like mis- a personality and he has, right. <laughs> and he, right. He has like, do's he's, he's and likes and yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would just say that one's the main thing. And then secondly, um, I think because, you know, traits, uh, are not really, I don't want to say not really seen, but where I live, it's a small community. It's not really seen. So yeah, to see a, yeah. a child with a trach and being sectioned, it's kind of like, whoa, you know, what's going on? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but you know, that's why I wrote the book, because I really want to raise awareness. Because prior to Noah, I had no idea what a trach was, what a trach baby mm-hmm. was, what even the NICU was. And now going through this, it's like... Um, I want people to know, you know, it, it is kind of normal once you're around it, because now even being out here, like in Lancaster, uh, I, you know, met six trick moms who are also oh, out wow. here in this moment. <laughs> so it's That's like awesome. once you're, yeah. So once you're around it, it's like it, it kind of becomes your new normal. And I just, you know, would want mm. people to know that just because someone has a trait, they, like you said, they are still a person. Uh, they're still mm-hmm. able to function and it's just something that helps them breathe. Mm. So th- those awesome. are, yeah, yeah, those are pretty much the only two things I would say. 
Well, I have so much respect for the moms that come in and they even like even just the NICU and you have you've done so much after that the NICU you guys are so strong and so brave and it takes so much courage to be able to be there for your kids and during that hard time and I just have so much respect and you are awesome so thank (laughs) Thank you so much much. I know thank you so much for having me and and talking about my book and so forth thank you (laughs) 